0: Are listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.church. Well, Stonegate, it's good to see you this morning. You doing okay? Good. It is so great to see. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. and while you're turning there, I'd love to pray for us. so won't you bow with me, Father? Here we are this morning. Our lives are yours, Good Shepherd. We throw ourselves upon you again today, O God. So would you come now and minister the good news of Jesus to us? Would you convince us that we really are sons and daughters of yours, that you care for us, that you love us, that you're with us? And Lord, would you give us courage today to say yes to you? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Well, Stonegate, today is a defining day in the life of our church family. In a lot of ways, when I think about what's happening today, it's it's one of those days that's going to send a ripple into the future of our church family. That's today. That's how big of a day it is. And if you are a guest with us, I think you picked a great day to be here. If this is your first time to be at Stonegate, you're going to get to witness one of those defining days in the life of a church family when that entire church family takes a step of faith together as they're nailing down and committing that one one number that represents big-hearted sacrificial generosity over the next two years. So if you're a guest, you really did pick a wonderful day uh, to be here. And let me just remind us all of a couple of things that we have said repeatedly over the last month. And here's the first one. The primary goal of Follow Me is for every single person who calls Stonegate home to get in on this with us. 100% of us. That's the goal. The primary goal is not a final number raised. It is for all of us to learn what it looks like to listen to and follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's what we're after. The key text is John 10, 27. Here's kind of our theme verse for the next couple of years in the life of our church. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is our life as a follower of Jesus, right? We have a good shepherd. We get to listen to the voice of the good shepherd. And then we get to follow the good shepherd wherever he leads. That's what this thing is about. That's what the next two years are about is that right there being a reality in your life and in my life. That's the primary goal. The secondary goal is $15 million. And that allows us to do three really important things. One is to make deep disciples. That's all of our ongoing work around Stonegate. Uh, you could just think of this as our normal yearly expenses. We have about a $4.5 million budget each year. So multiply that by two, that's about $9 million of the $15 million. That leaves $6 million to do the other two things, to make more disciples and to make young disciples by expanding our space. And that second goal is also important. Just, church, think about how the Lord has used this people and this place to change your life. What we're saying in this moment is we're going to create capacity for a couple of thousand more people to come and experience what you have, to see their lives changed by Jesus, rescued by Jesus, to watch them grow up in the Lord among these people in this place. We're just trying to open up that experience for a lot more people around uh, our area. That's what this, uh, this season is about, doing that very thing. And that secondary goal allows us to do that. So here's what I get the chance to do today, really just to get us ready to respond. On to Jesus and to say yes to Jesus today, and to do that, we're going to be in John chapter six, John six. So, if you got your Bible, uh, open that up. It's so helpful to follow along with me in John six. Here's the context. Jesus is with his disciples. So he's got his 12 disciples. Jesus is with them. And, uh, and then there's this large crowd following Jesus and the 12 disciples. Okay, that's the context that we see in John chapter 6. And it's that context, that moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is the time, this is the place where I'm going to teach you one of the most valuable and important lessons of your life. I'm going to teach you again what it looks like to walk by faith, and not by sight. This is what Jesus is after in John 6. He's teaching them what it looks like to walk with him by faith, not by sight. That, that's where he's going in this text. And to see that, let's start in verse 5. We'll pick it up there. In verse 5, here's what we read. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, that's a really great question because there's about 5,000 men there. If you kind of expand now the aperture to uh, children and women, you've got about 20,000 people that make up this crowd. 20,000 people and there's no HEB. Right? There's not like a grocery store to go down and grab all the food from, right? That doesn't exist in the first century. But Jesus looks at Philip and says, let's feed these people. Let's do this, Philip. It is an impossible scenario. I just want you to feel that. Imagine Jesus looking at you and there's 20,000 people and he says, let's do it. Let's feed them, right? It's impossible. There is no way to do this. And that creates in this text, what we might call the test, the test. Jesus lets us in on what he's doing in this moment. You see this in verse six. He said this to test him. That's what Jesus is up to in this moment. He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little right? Now, what's happening here? Jesus put Philip into an impossible situation for a reason, because he's wanting to accomplish some things in Philip. It was a test. It was this moment made by Jesus to cultivate faith in, in uh, Philip's heart. That's what Jesus is up to in this moment. If you just zoom out from the story, maybe we could think of it like this. Jesus is breaking Philip out of the prison of what Philip can see and do. And he's moving Philip over into the wide open plains, the wide open spaces of what Jesus can see and do. That's what Jesus is doing in in his heart in this moment. And what God did to Philip, he is doing with us. He is teaching us how to walk by faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is Jesus's agenda in your life, teaching you how how to walk by faith and not by sight, to trust what Jesus says, not what we can see. And Jesus does that. He cultivates faith in your heart and in my heart through testing, by creating a gap in our life, by by creating a gap between what God says, Philip, 20,000 people, let's feed them. And what we can see, Philip's looking around, he's like, no H-E-B, no grocery store. How's this going to happen, right? These are the moments in our life, the key defining moments in our life. And they're the key defining moments in our journey with Jesus because these are the very moments Jesus uses to grow our faith. If you want your faith to grow, you need the gap. Just like Philip needed the gap. You need the gap because it's in the gap where we learn the most important lesson of our life. How to venture all on God. The gap is where you learn that. The gap is where I learn that. And this is what follow me is designed to do. This is like the number one goal over the next two years is for that to happen, for God to put a gap in our life. It's, it's us coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, good shepherd, I want the gap because I want to grow in faith. I want you to make me a man, a woman, a faith. God, I, I want to be that type of, of, of person. So God, you can do whatever you want. You can ask whatever you want, and I am a yes to you, oh God. That, that is the heart of follow me. This is the goal of follow me is for that, for that to happen in our life over the next two years. So that's the test. Now we see the moment of faith, the moment of faith. Verse eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but it's a great thought here. What are they for so many? Okay. So just picture the moment. Jesus says, "Philip, feed them," and Philip's like, "Impossible, not gonna happen." You see, all of those people—that's way too many people for what we have. There's no way we're gonna feed them. And Andrew says, "Well, there's a boy here who has a sandwich—a sandwich." Now, put yourself in the shoes of this boy for a moment. You overhear the conversation. There's twenty thousand people here. They're all hungry. And they've got to be fed. There's 20,000 of them. What would you do if you had the sandwich? If you're walking by sight, not by faith, but by sight, you really have two options. Here's uh, option one. I'm going to be a billionaire off this sandwich. I am, this sand, the price of this sandwich just went sky high. I'm going to make millions. That, that's one option. Uh, here's your other option if you're walking by sight. Uh, you would look and you would say, there's no way I'm giving that sandwich up. Why would I give the sandwich? Uh, The the sandwich is not going to solve the problem of 20,000 hungry people. It's got no shot of doing that. If I give my sandwich, here's the end result. They're not going to be full, and I'm now going to be starving along with them. That's going to be the result. So no, I'm not giving my sandwich. But that's not what the boy does. He comes with an open heart to Jesus, with a heart of faith, and says, Jesus, uh, you, you can have my little That You can have my sacrifice here. You can have my my little. And and Jesus, I'm just going to trust you to turn that into a lot. Here's my little, Jesus. And then verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted as much as they wanted. Like, it's, it's a buffet of fish going on, right? As much as they wanted. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. That's amazing, isn't it? This boy gives his little, two fish, five loaves, this moment of generosity, just without any idea what Jesus had on the other side of this. He gave his little, and then Jesus used that little to do a lot. It's the moment of faith in the passage. And then we see the result in verse 14. Verse 14 is the culmination of the passage. When the people saw that the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. It's an amazing moment. Jesus took the the little boy's sacrifice, his little. And then Jesus turned that little into a lot. 20,000 people, plenty of food. It's a buffet for everyone. 12 baskets left over. And when the crowd saw the miracle, they gazed at Jesus as it's dawning on them. This is the one that we have been waiting for. This is the Son of God. This boy's little sacrificial moment of faith here, that boy's little led to Jesus being worshipped by this crowd. What, what a story. Now, as a church family, we have had a handful of these type of moments. I would just call them critical moments of generosity in the story of our church. We have had some of those moments over the years, over the last 14 years of our church's life. Uh, it's, it's these little moments, two, two fish, five loaves, us just offering them to Jesus, praying that he would take our little and do a lot with it. Uh, the first of those moments uh, came at the very beginning of our church's life. We're still in a living room. This is just the beginnings of Stonegate. There's 25, 30 of us in a living room. And uh, I, I look at that living room and, and I said to them, If we're going to start in six weeks, it's going to take $60,000 for us to do that. And like no one's coming to the rescue. It's either going to be us stepping into this moment and starting or we don't. And I look back, with just such deep gratitude for the people in that room. They stepped into that moment, just opening up their life and heart to Jesus and saying yes to him. Yes, I'll take this step of faith. Then fast forward uh, to 2016, so that was in 2009, now fast forward seven years, it's 2016, and in 2016 I wasn't looking at 25 to 30 people in a living room, but 800 people in the conference center for those of you who remember those days. So it's 800 people there, and this time it wasn't $60,000, it was $6 million that we needed to take a step out of the conference center into this space, our future church home. And again, I just, I look back with such gratitude as I think about those 800. They opened up their life and heart to Jesus and they stepped into the moment. And our collective commitments were not $6 million. It turned out to be $11 million. Just, it was a day that changed the future of our church family radically change the direction and the future of our church. Now, here's what's funny to me. If you would have asked those people in that living room or in the conference center, hey, what do you think Jesus is going to do with your little? Like, like this moment of sacrificial generosity for you, what, what do you think Jesus is going to do with that? No one in, in that living room back in the early days or back in the conference center, that, that 800, no one would have described the Gate we know of today. We really do have the story of Jesus taking our little and doing so much more than we ever dreamed or imagined. It's crazy for me to think about this, but we would not be here this morning in this room with these people. We would not be here apart from the faithfulness of those 25 and those 800. Jesus really has taken our little and done so much with it. And church family, it's 2024 now. And here we are again in the same exact place. It's a crucial moment of generosity. But this time, it's not me talking to a group of 25 to 30 in a living room or 800 in a conference center. It's now me looking at 3,000 people that make up our church family. And just like it took all 25 of us in those early days, and just like it took all 800 of us in 2016, it's going to take all 3,000 of us now. Every single one of us be willing, being willing to step into this moment with an open heart, taking a big, bold step of faith toward the good shepherd. That's what it's going to take in this moment. And church, just like the twenty-five and the eight hundred, have gotten to look back now in disbelief over what God has done. Here's what's in front of us today. We're going to get to look back. Maybe it's five years from now, 10 years from now. We're going to get to look back and be like, can you believe what Jesus has done? In this moment of generosity, we opened up capacity for a couple of thousand more people around Stonegate. And God has saved those folks. God has rescued them. He's redeemed their marriages. He's created pastors and raised up pastors out of them, church planters out of them. Can you believe what God has done with our little? That's what's in front of us, just like it has been for those 25 and those 800. There's going to be a day where we look back in amazement over what Jesus has done. Uh, This week, I've been thinking about that little boy in John 6, and he's with Jesus now. And just imagine him looking back over that moment of sacrifice in his life, him offering to Jesus that sandwich. Uh, Just imagine him now looking back over that. Here is what he's not saying right now. You know what I should have done? Kept my sandwich. You you know what I should have done? I should have eaten it all on my own. You know what I should have done? I should have just hoarded everything. He's not saying that, is he? No, he's looking back saying, I'm so grateful. In that moment, God gave me the courage to just say, God, here is my little. Would you do a lot with it? And church family, that's exactly where we are today. We're in a moment where we get to give our little and just watch God do what God does. And then we're going to look back one day so grateful that we stepped into this moment. That we've been open-hearted with Jesus in this moment. So I've got three things to ask you this morning. Th- three asks to make of you. Here's the first one. Would you this morning give your life again to Jesus? We cannot be glad in our giving unless we have given our whole life to Jesus. And that's really what Follow Me is about. It's about whole life surrender. Us giving the whole of ourself to Jesus. When's the last time you've just said to Jesus, God, God, I am yours? A good shepherd, my life is in your hands. Here I am, a blank check for you, whatever you want, whenever you want it. Yes, oh God. Would you be willing right now just to say that again to Jesus? God, my life is yours. It's yours. Giving your whole life to Jesus. Here's the second ask. Is that you would give your openness to Jesus. Your openness to Jesus. Let me describe what it looks like to come to Jesus with a closed heart. A closed heart takes all the things they're actually looking to for life and they're depending on in their life for, for, to feel safe in their life, to be joyful in their life, to feel okay with their life. They, they take all of those things, a closed heart, and they put it in this box back behind them. All those things go in there. So this is things like retirement accounts and bank accounts and savings accounts and home equity and just all the things. And we put it in the lockbox back here. And then we lock that box. Then we come to Jesus with this box behind us and we say, Jesus, let me put on the table the things that are negotiable, the things that we can talk about. Here's what you've got the right, Jesus, to sort of, uh, you know, talk to me about these things. That's what it looks like to come to Jesus with a closed heart. And look at me, church. Coming to Jesus with a closed heart will kill you in the end. Just ask the rich young ruler. It will kill you in the end. Here's what it looks like to come to Jesus with an open heart. We turn around and we open the box. All the things that we're really depending on for life and joy and happiness and security and refuge and all the things that are in there. We open that box and we get everything out of that box and we bring it before Jesus and we set it before the Lord. Then we do one of the hardest things we'll ever do in our life. We take our hands off of those things and we step back and we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the owner of those things, not me. I don't own anything. Everything I have, you've entrusted to me. So Jesus, I want to be a good steward of what you've entrusted to me. So anything you want, whenever you want it, God, I'm always a yes to you. That's what it looks like to come with an open heart to Jesus. And friends, an open heart to Jesus is where faith in your life begins. A closed heart will kill you. An open heart will give life and joy and freedom to you. This is where Jesus wants to take us. So give your life to Jesus and then give your openness to Jesus. Come to him with that open heart. And then thirdly, give your glad-hearted sacrificial gift to Jesus. That's the third ask. Give your sacrificial, glad-hearted gift to Jesus. No one here is telling you a number or a percentage or any of those things because it's not our prerogative. Here's what I am asking, though, is that you would come before the Lord with an open heart and you would listen to the good shepherd. Hands off of everything and you would listen. And whatever he says, you would say yes to him. But the key is that you would actually, with an open heart, listen. You would let the Lord show you what that number is that will take you down into the deep waters of faith. You would let the Lord show you what that number would be that would take you down into sacrificial generosity. You would let the Lord show you what that number is that over the next two years, it will change you. Like you'll be different at the end of these two years. You would allow the Lord to show you that number. And then whatever he says, you would say yes to him. You would have the courage to follow the Good Shepherd. That's what we're asking. That, that's what this moment is. And just like when we had 25, and just like when we had 800, it's going to take every single one of us listening to and following the voice of the Good Shepherd. Saying yes to Jesus. It's going to take every single one of us. Now, the question is, what, what would keep you and I from that today? There's a lot of things we could say about that. But here is the key thing. Here's the number one thing. Here's what will keep us from doing that. Fear. Fear. That'll keep us from it. If you've been on this journey with us over the last month, you know what that fear feels like. When you come to Jesus with an open heart and you take your hands off of everything, it's scary to do that. I I would even say borderline terrifying to do that, right? We're looking at our life and we're like, Jesus, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen tomorrow if I say yes to you? It's scary to do these things. And it's scary because when you open yourself up to Jesus, you lose control of your life. That's why it's scary. You're not in control anymore. But, but friends, can I encourage you with this? You're giving control to the good shepherd. You're not in control anymore. That's terrifying for a lot of us. But the good shepherd is in control. And Could your life be in any better hands than the good shepherd? Could it be in any better place than in his hands leading you to the very places he wants you to go? But it's scary. C.S. Lewis does a great job of talking about that fear of following Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia in the book, The Silver Chair, he just nails this feeling. Jill is a central character in the story. And Jill is dying of thirst. And dying of thirst, she, she breaks out into this clearing. And right in the middle of the clearing is a stream. Right? And, and in this stream, it, it's just a picture of uh, God's heart for us. And, and God's heart where we just come and we get to drink deeply of God. Till we have the deep sort of soul thirst in us quenched. That's the picture that he's setting up in this moment. And so there's the stream. That's where she can drink from the river of God's delight and her heart be satisfied in God. Here's the only problem. There's a lion by the stream. And if you know the story, the lion is Aslan. It's the Jesus-like figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And that's our picture this morning. Right, it's, it's There's the stream. There's the heart of God. There is my heart being satisfied in the goodness of God. But there's the lion. And we just don't know what the lion of Jesus, our good shepherd, is going to do. We don't know what he's going to ask next. We don't know where he's going to take our life. It's just all scary because of that lion there. And this is where you pick the story up. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? Oh... I, I, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Uh, could I? Uh, w- would, you mind, w- would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you, will you promise not to, not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you, do, do you eat girls, she said? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. And the lion didn't say this as if it were boasting or if it were sorry or as if it were angry. It just said it. And then Jill said, "Well, I, well, I, I, I dare not come and drink then. Then you will die of thirst," said the lion. "Oh dear," Jill said, coming a step nearer, "I, I suppose I must go and look then for another stream." And then the lion said back, "There is no other stream." church family, there is no other stream. This is what following God looks like. It looks like us drinking deeply from the river of God's delight for our heart to be satisfied in his heart right there in the stream. But... To to go and have our hearts satisfied right there in the stream requires us to throw ourselves on the lion of Jesus, on the good shepherd, losing control of our life as we give control to Jesus who can ask anything, can do anything, right? It, It takes that. It takes us being willing to trust the good shepherd, This is what Christianity looks like. This is what following Jesus looks like, church. There is no other way. There is no other stream. This is what this moment is about for you and I. It is about casting our life on the line of Jesus. That's what it's about. So will you take that commitment card that should be in your seat? I just want you to open that up, and for those who are following along with us online, uh, you should see on your screen a QR code that'll take you to an online version of this card, so you can be right here with us, participating this, in this moment right here with us uh, here in this building. So, SonGate, take this card, and I want to tell you a couple of things about this card. First of all, what happens over the next few seconds of our life, it matters. It matters in your life. So, so, like, Jesus changing you over the next two years. that This moment matters in that. You going to the very places Jesus wants you to go. It matters for you, friend. And it matters for the 2,000 people that aren't here yet that we're making room for. These are the people that are going to have their lives radically changed by Jesus. It matters to them. It matters. This moment matters. What happens right now is going to set the stage for the next decade of gospel ministry for us as a church family. So it matters. Second thing, uh, the commitment that you're making today is your total commitment to Stonegate over the next two years. Your total commitment. So it's not an additional amount you're giving. It's the totality of your giving to Stonegate over the next 24 months, the next two years. Third, For some of us, this is your first time to take just a real step into generosity. This is your first time to do that. And I just want to look at you and say, I am so proud of you. What what a wonderful moment in your life where for the first time in this area, you are listening to and following the voice of Jesus in your life. What a great day to celebrate in your life. Jesus is going to meet you over the next couple of years. I don't know how he's going to do that. It oftentimes comes in ways we don't expect. Right? But, but I know this, you're going to have stories of how Jesus has met you in this moment over the next two years. You're going to have great stories of that. So, so I'm just so proud of you. And then there's others in the room who you have been giving sacrificially to Jesus for many years. And here is another moment, but it's not just another moment. This is a moment where Jesus is, is taking you deeper into that place of faith, deeper into that place of sacrifice. He's no longer like saying, hey, just give out of your excess. No, he's saying, I want you to give down into these places where it really hurts. And here's what that means for you and I. For many of us, it means that we are giving an amount. We're giving in this moment something we never would have thought possible. This is how Laura and I feel. It's a scary place that we have gone. We never would have dreamed that five years ago we we could do something like this. But we're giving in a way that it's like, Jesus, would you help us? This is scary. Here we are. And this is where Jesus is taking us. And for some, that's going to mean a four-digit number. For some, a five-digit number. For some, a six-digit number. And for others, a seven-digit number. But friend, here's my encouragement to you. Listen to the voice of the good shepherd and go with him. Go with God, friend. Do not let fear get the last word in your life. Let following Jesus get the last word in your life. And then lastly, on the card, you don't have to fill out every blank. So if you just look at the inside of that card, you don't have to fill out every blank. The key slot, uh, the key blank is that green blank. My two-year generosity commitment to follow me. That's the key blank. And then I just want to encourage you to make sure you fill out your name legibly, where it can be read, right? So so that's the two key sections. If it's helpful, you can start at the top and work your way down. But the key blank is that one in green there, my two-year generosity commitment to follow me. Friends, here is what I'm praying for you. As you look down at that number that represents sacrificial generosity, I'm praying that when you look at that number, and only you and the Lord will know this, that it actually represents big, open-hearted faith. That it really does represent sacrificial generosity with Jesus. That it really does represent you listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd and you saying yes to whatever he asks of you. So I want to give you a few minutes now to just listen to the Lord. I know some of you came in with a number that that you felt like was right in there with what the Lord's asking. But I wanna give you just one last moment here, a couple of minutes, to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, to ask the Good Shepherd, God, what is it that you would have me do? What is it that would be pleasing to you that you would want from me over the next two years? I'm a yes, Jesus. Would you just show me what that is? I wanna give you a moment to do that. And if you're a, a husband, a dad in the room, this would be a great time to pray for your family, To just gather them up and to pray. Uh, This is a great time to maybe talk with your spouse a little bit about that. Uh, This is a time for you to do some of that work with the Lord. This uh, might be a time where you want to just uh, sort of embody a humble posture. You might want to turn around there in your seat and just kneel before the Lord as you're asking and listening. But this is a moment for you to do that, for you to take out your card. Uh, Maybe you can just be prayerful over that gift chart at the back and for you to open up your heart and to listen. We want to give you some time to do that with the Lord. And if you're a student in the room, I'm so glad you're here because this uh, 100% participation means you too. So this is a chance for you to be able to uh, begin to learn generosity and to have that muscle flexed in your life and to take a step toward Jesus in faith. So all of our students in the room, and I want to encourage you to jump in on this. God has something for you over the next two years. Uh, So jump into this moment. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to give you a few minutes uh, to do some work with the Lord there. So Father, here we are, your people, open-hearted to you, our good shepherd. Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you lead us, oh God? Would you take us down into a place of faith? And it's in the good name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. So church family, this is not the time to bring up your card. This is, we're going to give you a few minutes. They're going to sing over you. You can join them as you want. But this is a time for you to open up your heart and life and just say, Jesus, what is it that you would want over the next couple of years? So do that work there with the Lord.